Well, we've been in a bit of a series. It hasn't really been a series. I forgot to call it a series. If I'd have known that I'd started this way and sort of kept speaking on a certain sort of level, I probably would have called it a series. I would have either called it the difficult series, because we're talking about things that are sometimes difficult to understand about our faith, or I would have called it the mind bender. The mind bender series. Um, And so the first week we looked at the fact that you can have orthodox belief, but a pagan imagination. And then the next week, we asked the question, what the hell is heaven? And then the following week, we asked, what the heaven is hell? <laughs> and, uh, and I'll let you know in a moment what we're going to call this one. Um, but I, just wanna, I, I guess I just want to start thinking about the way we think about Scripture. Thinking about the way we think. One of the biggest problems we have as human beings in every area of our lives is that we don't think about what we're thinking about or how we're thinking. So I've just got a little disclaimer to today's message. You're either going to love it or it's really going to mess you up, okay? Um, so I'm just putting that out there. The fact is, there's some things in the Bible that disturb me, which sort of feels wrong to be disturbed because I'm a good Christian. Well, I try to be. And it's like I'm doubting or I'm being somehow disloyal if I get disturbed by things I read. I don't know whether you've ever felt that. Um, And we're tempted, I think as Christians, we're tempted to automatically defend things, to leap in and automatically come to the defence of something, uh, to rationalise or to somehow explain what is sometimes the unexplainable, but we can't even admit that it's unexplainable, or we just fluff over and we say things like, well, you know, that's just, that's just God, or that's just the way it is, or, you know, God is, God is just, as if that's, that's meant to explain a lot of things that are hard to explain. Uh, and it's really dumb, and I must admit, I react that way, that's my natural reaction, but it's, it's really dumb probably for two reasons. First, you just can't justify some things you read in Scripture. <laughs> Come on, let's, can we have an honest talk today or do you, do you just want me to preach to you instead? Um, Lot offering his virgin daughters to a violent mob to save strangers. That's hard to explain. Um, that, <laughs> that disturbs me. Uh, and the second reason it's dumb, so you can't justify some things, and if you, if you do, if you do try and rationalise away, then you'll miss the whole point it was recorded. That's the dangerous thing. I'll pose this question, what if some things in the Bible were intended to disturb us? We, we try and rationalise and find like a stable moment where it's like, no, it's all good, it's all good with the world because I can rationalise this away. But what if that was never the writer's intent? What if the intent was to really rattle us and shake us up and force us to wrestle with the text, to really encounter God 
and get a deeper understanding of what he's trying to say to us. If we allow the text to disturb us and we're honest about truth, it will compel us to wrestle. You think about Jesus' ministry. Like Jesus' whole ministry, recorded in the Gospels, Jesus was continually, his ministry continually punctuated by people asking him to either clarify the wrestle they had or he was speaking into people wrestling with the narrative of Scripture and taking it in the wrong direction, getting the wrong perception Maybe believing the right stuff, but having a pagan imagination. I'll use another example. James and John, the sons of thunder. Lord, do you want us to call down fire on them? (laughs) Talk about right belief. Did they believe in Jesus? Absolutely. But what did Jesus say? You don't know what spirit you're of. It's like you believe all the right stuff. You even follow me and you're acting like the world. You're seeing this all wrong, even though you're believing the right things. So I want to sort of continue this conversation. Because for Jesus, the text, the scriptures started the conversation. They fueled the conversation. But for most modern Christians, they try and use the scripture to end the conversation. They do the exact opposite with it of what Jesus did. Instead of going, whoa, that's disturbing. We need to discuss this. We need to open it up. We need to wrestle with this and find somehow the mind of God and the heart of God in it. Often we just use it as a way of ending the argument and thinking we've won. Who's ever worked out? I've worked it out in 29 years, I can tell you. You can win the argument and not really win at all. (laughs) It's true. I better get to my notes. I'm going to get naughty. I'm not careful. So we're going to wrestle a bit today. Is that okay? And, uh, and I want to read this passage from the Old Testament regarding fights and disputes that were being resolved by violence. And it's in Exodus chapter 21, verse 23 to 25. But if any harm follows, if someone gets hurt when two men are fighting, Then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. You know, that's one of them angry texts, isn't it? I want to talk to us today about why an eye for an eye was the best law ever. Why an eye for an eye (laughs) was the best. You buckled up? You strapped in? Okay, let's go. You know, as I said, I wish there was some stuff that wasn't in the Bible. Uh, It makes me uncomfortable. Uh, Like poking someone's eye out. So I'm just going to focus on one phrase. I mean, it's just because poke, as gross as poking someone's eye out, I think I, it would be easier to do than chop their hand off or their foot. I don't know, but that's just in my imagination. But honestly, you've got to ask yourself the question, is that barbaric? Because our community asks questions like that, if at all they're interested. Is that barbaric? 
I'm glad. Three people know. Come on. It's not a trick question. The answer is yes. In case you didn't know, the answer is yes. Hacking someone's foot or hand or poking, gouging their eye out, that is barbaric. Um, if that's not barbaric to you, you're thinking like a caveman, like a pagan. But before we judge that law as barbaric, we have to ask what was happening to require it. And this is something that people so often miss in Scripture, even God's people. You have to ask what was happening to require that statement to be inserted in the narrative. See, this was not the era of triple O phone calls to the police. This was not the era of courtrooms or jail cells with TV and aircon. That was not this era. We have to understand that this era, let, let's imagine this era as the era where families gathered together for harvest and your son is teenage son is goofing off with the teenage son of the family over the hill. Does that make sense? While they're helping harvest, Dennis is looking at me going, it still happens, I guarantee. Teenagers goofing off on the farm and they're throwing sticks at one another and your son's stick accidentally strikes the other boy and takes his eye out. Okay, this is not the era of triple O phone calls. This is the era of my neighbour goes home over the hill to his village raises a small army, comes back in the middle of the night three days later and burns me and my whole family alive in the house. This is that era that we forget about. That we, you know, it's funnily enough, I mean, Hollywood, there's plenty of Hollywood shows that would portray that era much more modern than even this era. 3,000 odd years ago. So that's this era. These aren't the days of insurance claim and a payout and microsurgery. These are the days of total retaliation. And in that context, an eye for an eye starts to make much more sense. As barbaric as it might have been, what they were saying was that the punishment should be proportionate to the crime. Maybe for the first time ever. The punishment should be proportionate to the crime. This was not a law of inflicting barbaric punishment. This was a law that stopped violence escalating. And you know, we know that that is not a good thing. The escalation of violence. This is not just an ancient needed principle. This is current history. We all know, we've all seen it. Actually, I can remember Sue and I were talking last night. We were talking about um, memories from our 29 years. And we were talking about when we lived at Westbrook in our first little home. And I can remember, and we had lots of nice memories. This isn't necessarily one of them. I remember sitting up late every night for several months watching the first Gulf War as it happened on television. 
I watched the opening shots fired. As a matter of fact, I've still got old videotapes where I recorded the news. Night after night, uh, late at night, watching whatever CNN replay stuff and video recording it. And we know now that push me, bomb you, doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Without getting into the political, it just doesn't work. Maybe that's why Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. Maybe that's why Jesus upgraded some of our thinking about how we respond to violence. The principle I want to talk to you today about really is historic arc. We have to understand that the Bible story is going somewhere. From beginning to end, it's going somewhere. That's why when people say, well, it's in the Bible... (laughs) it's not a qualified statement. Without asking questions like, where is it in the Bible? What's happening in the world around it, before you look at the Bible? They're questions that you've got to answer or you start to get a really weird picture of God (laughs) and the way that God relates to humankind. And we see this arc In our own lives. It's not just a historic thing. We see it in our own lifetime. For example, parents of modern environmentalists. Okay, so I don't know how to qualify that, but anyone who's added Extinction Rebellion to their favourites list uh, on their web browser for sure. Uh, Anyone who avidly shares the BuzzFeed stories about those environmental issues. Well, the parents of the modern environmentalists were and probably still are environmental vandals. They still don't separate their rubbish. And mind you, I've got young people at home too and I've seen them not bother. I've had to separate their rubbish out so the younger generation don't just own the moral rights to this debate. But just think about it. One generation back, most of us were not concerned about the environment whatsoever. But there's been a historical shift, a historical arc with us becoming aware that our resources are limited and uh, and things are happening there that we need to pay attention to. Whatever side of the environment, like it's okay not to believe this or that. I don't care if you don't believe in global warming, that's okay. But I tell you what, if you don't believe we've got to start thinking about this, you're an idiot, no matter what you believe. Is that okay? This is a real issue. We all do share the planet and our kids will and our grandchildren will. So it is something we need to think about no matter what side of the fence you come down on. But here's the question I'd pose to maybe the young environmentalist. You know, your parents, are they evil people or were they oblivious people? It's very easy to portray them as the previous generation as evil people uh, without actually recognising you have access to information that the previous generation never had. Are they just ignorant or was the degree of information available now not available to them? Another question is, were they environmental vandals or simply unaware? 
And yet it's so easy to judge them outside of understanding historical arc and how much more intense does that get when you're starting to talk about three and a half thousand or five thousand years of Bible history. How much more distorted? If our view can get so distorted and we can become so ignorant of the reality of historical arc in one generation, (laughs) think about thousands of years of human history and our inability to actually see scripture in the context that it was originally written. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth was the best news that modern man had ever heard. Someone saying, stop escalating the violence. You can have justice without escalation. And it might be primitive, but it was a step in the right direction. It's all about progression. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. It wasn't wrong, it was simply then. And often in our arguments, and we allow people to draw ourselves into argue, draw us into arguments about is it right or is it wrong? Well, you know what? There is actually another category. <laughs> There's another category. Don't ask right or wrong before you ask when, and then you ask the question, was it then? Like eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. I think it's a bit savage now. And our whole community agrees with that. Maybe we've even gone the other way. I don't know. Some would argue that. But at the end of the day, um, it was the best law. Come on. Was, was eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, the best law ever written at that point in time? It really was. Well, it was one of them. Was it a massive leap in the right direction? Come on up the back. You can, yeah, come on was a massive leap in the right direction. The problem comes when we either retrofit it to now using the lens of our 2019 worldview or we condescendingly judge those who practised it without thought to the moment of history that they found themselves in. See, I'm convinced with this, God's news is always good news. Everywhere in scripture, God's news is always good news but it must be seen in the original frame to really understand it. Next thought. I'm just, are you okay? You doing okay? Because I guess I'm just trying to help us. Can Can we dare read our Bibles the way that original authors intended them to be read? And you know what? To tell you the truth, to do that now, it's not hard. With the internet, it's not hard at all. Go to a reputable source. Uh, You might even have an old open Bible on your shelf. And right there, it will give you the time and history. And all you have to do is look up the time that book was written and then go to Wikipedia and look at what was happening in the world at that time, if there's records. And all of a sudden, you get to paint a picture of this was said in the context of that. And all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense than this was said in the context of now. Does that make sense? Okay, contradictions. No, people I guess who have a beef against faith often like to throw out, well the Bible's full of contradictions. Who's ever heard that? 
Um, you know, I don't know whether it's full of contradictions. <laughs> but honestly, and, and Christians, I mean, we do. We, we, we just feel like we have to step straight in there and defend the indefensible. Because <laughs> the fact is, it is maybe not full of, but let's just say it is full of contradictions. Especially if you neglect the fact that the story is going somewhere. That's when it's full of contradictions. If you read the history, for example, if you read the history of the Second World War, up, up to 1941, and you stop reading, well, right at that point, you're believing that Nazi Germany is controlling most of Europe. If you reread the history of the Second World War and you read right through till May the 7th, 1945, you'll get a very different opinion of the exact same story. <laughs> you know what I mean? That story was going somewhere. It didn't end in 1941. It ended, you know, in Europe at least, in May 1945, August for the rest of the Pacific. And so uh, that's how we can, could get waylaid and it's often how people get waylaid with scripture. They just want to cherry pick something out of somewhere and they don't have the full story. And if that could happen with something as mundane as factual world history... Just imagine the complications that arise if you do that with a spiritual book inspired by God to run your life with <laughs> and you cherry pick something out of context. No wonder some of us have had really crazy examples of God portrayed to us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 and 39, Jesus said this, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever step, uh, slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. And, and funnily enough, you know, often we're tempted. And if you're anything like me, I'm just being honest. But, you know, you're tempted to almost believe there's two gods in the Bible. <laughs> it's like the Old Testament God who's angry with everyone. And then there's like the New Testament God and I like the New Testament God more because he's, he's cuddly and on my side. Unless, of course, you're selling things in the temple. You know? But for most people, their experience of Jesus, as long as you weren't a religious person or had motivated by evil desire, then Jesus was your friend. And we can be tempted, but it's, it's not a contradiction whatsoever. Our friend Shane Willard puts it this way, and I don't, I've never heard anyone put it better, but the closer God gets, the kinder he appears. That's all it is. There is an arc through the Bible story of God drawing closer and closer to man and man drawing closer and closer to God. And the closer, initially man is painting God through all of his own pagan images. And that goes right through to the New Testament. But because of this progression of closeness and nearness, a clearer and clearer and clearer
picture of who God really is is emerging through the scriptures. And amazingly, the clearer he gets, the kinder you realise he actually is. And here's Jesus. He's not, I'd say this is a contradiction. No, no, no. We think it's a contradiction. It appears to be a contradiction. Jesus here is basically scrubbing the law in one sense. He's not. He's fulfilling the law. Because the whole fulfilment of the law, the New Testament says, is love. And so here he's not scrubbing it, even though he appears to be changing it, even though he appears to be contradicting it. What he's doing is saying, no, no, when you get this close to God, you realise this is just how kind God actually is. Not an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Forgive your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Stop the escalation. Peace is possible even in the presence of pain. That's what Jesus was actually aiming at. So what changes? It's not God who changes. God's character doesn't change. Our perspective of who God is changes. God is unchanging. God is immutable is the theological word. Will never change, never has. Same yesterday, today, forever. Just never changing. So what is the shift? Well, the shift is in us. The shift is in us seeing him clearer. And the closer he gets and the clearer he gets, the kinder he appears to be. And the closer he gets to you, according to Jesus, the more you're meant to soften and be kinder to others too. So (laughs) I thank God for an eye for an eye. And a tooth for a tooth. Or many of our families might not have made it this far through history. And that's a fact. And in a vacuum, it sounds terrible. In context, it was the wisest and safest way to play the game of life ever thought of. (laughs) It wasn't wrong, it was just then. But thank God it didn't stop there. And that Jesus showed us that the cycle of violence can be broken. Are you doing okay? Historical arc pays to take notice. Who was it written to? When was it written? What was going on in the world around it? Will help the Bible help you make a lot more sense of the Bible. Can I ask us some questions as we close? Are we crazy to think this historical arc doesn't apply to us? Okay, that one's not rhetorical. (laughs) Are we crazy to think historical arc doesn't apply to us? Yes, we would be crazy to think that is the right answer. Here's maybe some that are a little bit more rhetorical. Do you read the Bible like one big static story? like it all happened in one moment of time or as a progressive revelation of God's interaction with humankind? How do you read your Bible? Are you you satisfied with pat answers that someone else gives you? And I mean either for the positive 
affirming your faith or, you know, listening to the chatter of the world out there. Well, you know, they say the Bible's full of contradictions and I just believe that. Because some people do. And they never come to faith. They never step into what God's got for them simply because they believe what someone else said who is actually totally ignorant of the power of Scripture. But will make a qualified statement. And yet we have God speaking to humankind, shaping humankind in ways that honestly, if we could trace DNA, potentially there'd be someone here today that would not be sitting here today if that law hadn't appeared 3,400 years ago. God's good. (laughs) Even when we don't know it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it or see it. So are you satisfied with those answers someone gives you or do you want to wrestle with truth? Do you want to dance with Scripture? Dance with God. Enter the divine dance, the the trinity, the perichoresis. Enter the dance that God has with humanity and just discover His wonder and His awe and His majesty and His amazing plan for your life. Is that what you want to do? Or are you just happy to read flippin' BuzzFeed and get your answers for life. Someone else's ignorant opinion foisted upon you. No. I'm quite, quite content and I'm not ashamed of the gospel and I'm happy to preach the God of the Bible just as he is. He doesn't need me to defend him. He's done so much for humanity already. As I said, some of us wouldn't be sitting here without a few of his thoughts sown into humankind along the way. What portions of Scripture have you put in the too hard basket that you need to take another look at? If you want to wrestle with Scripture, what stuff have you gone, oh, that just disturbs me? And you've either rationalised it away or you put it in the too hard basket and you're actually hoping that, you know, that that, um, sort of aggressive workmate that gets on you about your faith, you're just hoping he doesn't read it or she doesn't read it or, or read some web post about it and ask you the hard questions. What portion of Scripture do you need to revisit and wrestle with? Just like Jacob wrestled with God. You know, getting a blessing from God, it's not always just instant coffee. J- Jacob wrestled all night and God touched him and it wounded him in such a way that he walked different for the rest of his life. That's what I'm talking about. Wrestle with the Word of God. Because there's a great blessing in it. Okay, lastly, <laughs> is it possible that God is kinder than you thought? Is it possible that God is kinder than you thought, than, than you fear that you have to defend. You have to defend this old angry God that suddenly got happy because of the cross. Or is it actually the same God that we see clearer through the cross because of the cross? Maybe that was why there was the cross. (laughs) So that we could see him so clearly. And and, and we need to not get Jesus wrong. Because we, (laughs) we have all kinds, you know, when we talked about pagan imagination, everywhere I've been in the world, I've met Jesuses made in people's image. I've been in India, staring at the wall at an Indian Jesus. And that was okay, because I grew up with my mum 
with the sacred heart of Jesus thing on the wall as a Catholic lady and Jesus had long hair and it was tinted with like blonde streaks and he looked like something that just stepped out of days of our lives with a beard because we make God in our image. I've been to the Philippines and I've seen a Philippines, <laughs> um, a Filipino Jesus and I'd be cool with that. And, uh, and recently in Sri Lanka, lately in Sri Lanka, I've seen Sri Lankan Jesuses too. He comes in all forms. And I don't think, I think Jesus came with skin on. God came with skin on so that we could relate to him in that way. I haven't got a problem with that, but let's make sure that our actual image of who he is is not distorted by real, really misunderstanding the context that he came into because even Jesus came into a context and maybe that's next week's message I'm not sure because I'm sort of feeling like I've always mocked deeper teaching and I've sworn we would never do it and I've got the feeling that we're sailing into those waters so get me out quick do you think we should do one more on Jesus or something or maybe (laughs) because I can't wait to dig out all the photos of all the different kinds of Jesus from around the world <laughs> All the different colours and persuasions. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, I hope you still love me. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't been preaching this way the last few weeks to mess us up. As a matter of fact, it's my vote of confidence in you that you are mature enough to take a hold of the Word of God and to wrestle yourself, to find Jesus for yourself to not be ashamed of your faith. Have an understanding that you don't need to fluff over it or sweep it under the carpet or try and make excuses and somehow defend God. God can defend himself. But uh, us understanding where the scripture comes from could help us a bit. And I hope that this has been helpful today. So Jesus, help us as we wrestle as we wrestle with your word, as we think about these things, as we challenge ourselves, I pray that you'd give us the grace not to sweep the difficult things under the carpet, not to gloss over them, not to try and rationalise them, but to do what you wanted us to do, to do what the writers intended with your word, and that is to grab it and go deep and wrestle with it and struggle with it until we get why you said it in the first place in Jesus name that's my prayer for all of us amen let's see I tell you what if you're here and you're on a journey you know like I know most of us it's church family here but you know there's a lot of people here I don't know everyone and and maybe You've been on a journey in life, a bit of a spiritual journey, and maybe it's only turned spiritual recently. Maybe you've been on a journey for a long time, but you only realised recently that it was actually a spiritual issue. That, you know, maybe some of the things you've tried, past relationships or past financial ventures or whatever, the the things, the sporting career, the, the whatever, the things that you tried to fill the gap just didn't fill the gap in your life. But you're sitting here today and you're intrigued by what's happening in this place. You know, what is happening in this place is we've just gathered. We're people who believe in Jesus Christ. We're just everyday Aussies who believe in Jesus. And we've 
He's touched our lives in a very real way. I was 21. It was a long time ago for me, 34 years ago, when Jesus touched my life and changed everything. And not overnight, but gradually, everything began to change. And here I am 34 years later. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've seen it touch and bless so many people. And I've really become convinced, and I was right from the moment Jesus walked into my heart, but now, 34 years later, I'm not a cynical old preacher. I'm more convinced than I ever have been that Jesus is the answer for humanity. And if you're here and you're on that journey and it's like, you know, this has surprised me a bit today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God yourself personally, just right where where you're seated or right where you're standing. If we could all stand together, um, I think that'd be great. And I just want to give you an opportunity to respond in the way that you need to. So could we just close our eyes for a moment, just all of us. And um, in a few moments' time, we're going to pray a prayer together. We're going to put it up on the screen so everyone knows what what we're saying. Uh, But if you're in this place and you've been on a journey and you've been a little bit surprised maybe by God's presence, by God's reality, even by, you know, the, 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 the way that God's Word actually works... Um, and you'd say, I'm at a point where I, I want to trust Jesus with my life. I've come to a point in that journey where the next step is Jesus. And now I can encourage you to that, but you've got to decide whether that's for you or not. I can't force anything. But if you're here and you'd say, that's me, I just Jesus is the next step for me, then would you just raise your hand right where you are? And I'd like to acknowledge you. I won't embarrass you, but I want to acknowledge you. So just raise your hand up nice and high right where you are. Yep, God bless you. Over here on my left, God bless you, mate. That's awesome. Right here on my left too. You can put your hands down again. Others in this place, just really quickly, just before we close the meeting. Come on, anyone else in this place and you just know, I've been on this journey and this is the next step for me. Just as I look around one more time, one last time. Awesome. That's wonderful. Well, first of all, why don't we encourage people who just made that decision? And I want to encourage you, just keep your heart open. That's all you've got to do. doesn't get any more complicated than that. Keep your heart open. And I'll, uh, someone will come and encourage you to read the Bible in a moment. But we're going to pray this prayer together. And uh, if I didn't see you respond, if you're out there and it was like, I, I either missed you or you didn't get to the point of putting your hand up, but you're like, I'd really like to know Jesus, then I want to encourage you. Use this prayer to pry your heart open and let Jesus in. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I'll follow you. Amen. Amen. And Amy's going to tell you what you can do. And the rest of us are going to be wrestling with Scripture all week.